Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. Ukraine accusing Russia of thousands of war crimes and crimes of aggression, while an international prosecutor calls Ukraine a crime scene. An ISIS terrorist has been convicted in a connection with a brutal hostage scheme. It resulted in the death of Americans. The jury found that he was one of the so-called Beatles, a nickname given for their accents and the way they cruelly beat prisoners. And a never-seen-before letter from a January 6th prisoner. He tells Americans, don't do nothing. The man provided security for speakers at the rally and was arrested later that year. A bipartisan group of U.S. lawmakers is visiting Taiwan to show support for the island. What is their mission and how did Beijing respond? Today, Ukraine accused Russia of committing thousands of crimes. This, as an international war crimes prosecutor on the ground in Ukraine, calls the country a crime scene. Entity's Jessica Beatty has the latest. Ukraine said Friday it's found nearly 6,700 cases of Russian crimes of aggression and war crimes. Recent drone footage shows workers removing bodies from a mass grave in the Ukrainian city of Bucha. The International Criminal Court is now claiming in a tweet that Ukraine is a crime scene, quoting its chief prosecutor investigating war crimes who visited the mass graves firsthand. And I think this is a moment that should wake everybody up. Senator Steve Daines from Montana became the first U.S. senator to visit Ukraine since Russia invaded. He told Fox News' Your World with Neil Cavuto Thursday, there's an irrefutable case being made that war crimes have been committed. You know, I've seen a lot of, you know, horrific things over the years in terms of storm damages and accidents. I've never seen anything like this. Kiev's investigating the deaths in Bucha as war crimes. Moscow's denied responsibility and accuses Ukraine of trying to smear Russia. President Biden says his administration's considering sending senior U.S. officials to Ukraine. He said he's ready to go, too. But U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan says that's unlikely to happen. I think the president would love the opportunity to go to Ukraine to show solidarity with the Ukrainians. Um, the uh, question of what kind of footprint that would require, what kind of uh, assets that would take from the Ukrainians as well as from us is a very serious one for him. Meanwhile, Russia says it struck a military target on the edge of Kyiv overnight with cruise missiles and promised more strikes against Ukraine's capital in response to Ukrainian attacks on Russian targets. Powerful explosions were reportedly heard in Kyiv Friday after Russia said the flagship of its Black Sea fleet had sunk while being towed after being badly damaged. Russia says the ship was damaged by a fire that triggered an explosion of ammunition on board. Ukraine says it was hit by two powerful Ukrainian-made missiles. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. Russia's war on Ukraine has led to crude oil prices rising. This has been part of the reason why diesel and gasoline prices in the U.S. have skyrocketed. And since food is often transported by truck, food prices are on the rise as a result. The vice president of JKC Trucking, Mike Kucharski, joins us now. He says his company has already paid a million dollars more so far this year than last year on diesel fuel. He discusses the impact the war is having on Americans. We are short on products. You know, this is all gets, and especially with a Ukrainian war going on, causing issues with you know the, the wheat and, and and other metals coming out of Ukraine, etc. You know, this is affecting the American people at the gas pump and right in the wallet. 
So what are some products that are affected the most by this and how can Americans find a way around this? I mean, uh, <laughs> it kind of affects everything because all the trucks that, you know, 70% of the trucks on the road, you know, move 70%, excuse me, the trucks on the road move 70% of all the products that, you know, consumers buy. Uh, so, and they're all running on diesel, especially the ones on that carry the refrigerated stuff. We, we have uh, diesel reefers on the front, so we're actually burning more. You know, uh, it's it, it's causing so many issues, you know what I mean? Uh, what I've been saying is, you know, uh, the government needs to come and, and help the truckers get down with the truckers. You know, I've been saying the government's been disconnected. You know, I've been saying since the beginning, you know, we welcome, you know, <clears throat> lawmakers to to sit down with us so we can educate them what we need on, on the front lines, you know, to get this, you know, supply chain resolved and the economy roaring again and get ourselves out of these black hole that COVID and, and the war has, has created. Now, Moscow says that it will achieve its goals in Ukraine. I mean, this war is dragging on. Do you think that the problem is going to get worse, or is, is there any relief? I would say, I mean, I hate to say it, but I would say it's, it's probably going to get worse. Um, but, you know, with this war going on, we, we, we as Americans still could do, you know, uh, issues, you know, immediate actions, solutions here in the U.S. to, to, to help with with these you know skyrocketing cost of inflation i mean number one i would say you know let's roll back the hours of service so drivers can drive more with the limited amount of uh drivers that we have you know to to be to be more productive you know this might even attract more drivers into into the industry the, the trucking industry is definitely short on drivers you know uh tax incentives you know to to spend suspend the 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 suspend or lower the excise tax you know while energy prices are skyrocketing you know for for example just like Maryland did. You know, Maryland relieved his exercise test 36 cents per diesel, you know, which is huge. We need more states to do this to, to help because this would only save money and, you know, save money to the end users of the American people. You know, tax credits through these hard times, you know, uh, one thing I would like to see is to make the U.S. energy independent again. I think that would have a huge, huge toll on this on this, on this fuel uh, issue and inflation, you know, to, to support what America stands for freedom, you know, last time I checked, you know, I'm not a politician, but I'm just a, just a businessman, you know, and I'm sure these changes would make a huge impact, you know, saving businesses and, and Americans money. As the war in Ukraine rages on, millions of citizens have been displaced within the country. And amid the chaos, some have taken the opportunity to create something positive and manage to start their own businesses. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the story. Three young refugees from districts near the Ukrainian capital, Kyiv, have started their own business in the western city of Lviv. Serhi, Ivan, and Irina have opened up a tiny coffee shop in one of the busiest streets in the city center. The establishment is named Kit, in memory of Serhi's cat, who he lost in the war. I have a great uh, a small uh, business. Uh, I have a culinary YouTube show named Kit. It's uh, in Ukrainian. And uh, here we do what, what we could do best. We make great pies, we make coffee, teas, and we help uh, our people, we help our army by making donations from our profits. With two months free rent on the tiny premises, they are determined to make the best of it, serving coffee, tea, and pies. 
when we came here, we were volunteers for uh, several weeks, like uh, all people do, I, I hope. And uh, uh, we have uh, uh, only enough money for uh, for, the, for living like uh, a few months here. But we decided to get all this money and rent uh, this small window. It's actually all, only five uh, square meters. Just, but uh, it's enough. It's enough. Serhii described their difficult financial situation when they first arrived in Lviv. But he says the coffee shop is busy and attracting new customers every day. He's hopeful they will be able to pay the rent and keep the business going. So we have only two months and if we uh, will have enough people, but now I see we have uh, so much people here, well, we can pay the rent and maybe we could uh, stay here, but because actually this was my, this was my dream for, for many years. According to the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights, 6.7 million Ukrainians have been forced to move inside the country and more than four million have crossed borders into neighboring countries. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. A Russian man and a Ukrainian woman marry at a Mexican border city. Their marriage helps them to more easily seek asylum across the border in the United States. They originally planned to get married in Ukraine. Before the Russian invasion, the couple lived in Ukraine. They managed to leave the country and arrive at the Tijuana border city two weeks ago but trying to enter the U.S. together brought complications. People who've crossed the border say American officials allow Ukrainians fleeing the Russian invasion to enter the United States and stay without fear of deportation for a year. But U.S. authorities have not permitted Russians to enter the country since the war began. The only exceptions are Russians that can prove with documents they have family already in the U.S. So Semen and Daria chose to get married. This way, Daria can enter as an asylum seeker and Semen can enter as her husband and fulfill the family member requirement. A Ukrainian who is now living in Canada tells us about his challenges the fa his family is facing. Some of Andrew Skopenko's in-laws lived in eastern Ukraine prior to the war. His father-in-law moved to western Ukraine in search of work, and he tells us about his mother-in-law's journey to Poland. They spent a lot of time hiding in their cellars and uh, hiding from the shelling. Um, they would, uh, my in-laws, uh, my mother-in-law, she lives in the house and uh, once they would see an airplane flying by, they would have to quickly run uh, to their cellar, which is uh, half underground, and they would have to wait there and uh, she told me that when the airplane goes back, it throws another bomb. So they would just sit there and wait until the airplane makes a circle. And then they would just run back to their uh, house. And uh, they are originally from uh, Okhtyrka town, which is in the eastern Ukraine, Sumy region. And they've been uh, living like that for about a month. And then after that, my mother-in-law managed to flee from the town and uh, she was going to take her grandmother with her but unfortunately the last minute when they were about to hop on the bus to be evacuated from the town her mother said that uh, she'd like to stay and uh, she uh, my mother-in-law she didn't uh, lose any minute quickly called her friend and traded her mother with her friend's daughter and took her friend's daughter with her to Poland and so she has just decided to stay. Yeah, and it's a very stressful situation. She's in her 80s. Uh, 
I don't know what she had in her uh, mind, but that was her decision, and uh, we just have to go with that. And what are you doing to support Ukrainians? Mostly it's donations and um, the communication online on social media. There is a lot of disinformation right now. And from the news uh, in uh, the Russian Federation, we can see how their government is uh, twisting the facts. Uh, in fact, they did a huge massacre in uh, the Bucha town, which is uh, the uh, north of Ukraine, uh, close to the capital of Ukraine, Kyiv. They killed a lot of people, raped women, uh, killed and raped children as well, did a mass destruction there. The dead bodies were laying on the ground after the Russian troops uh, retreated from uh, that town. And now the Russian mass media are saying that Ukrainian soldiers did that. And when the whole world knows that that's not the case, when the whole world condemns the actions that Russia is doing. Yeah, so spending time online to educate uh, people on what really is going on and making sure that uh, false news don't get spread, that's one of the things that we are doing from over here. Coming up, a special Easter breakfast served in the Philadelphia area. Those invited were the families of police officers who died in the line of duty. That and more on NTD News. The governor of Texas and the governor of the Mexican state of Chihuahua have come to an agreement on border security. This will allow Texas to reduce its increased scrutiny at the port of entry, which will reduce gridlock along a border bridge. We discussed border security at length. Governor Campos has provided me with the best border security plan that I've seen from any governor from Mexico. Since Chihuahua has detailed a plan to secure the Mexico side of the border, the Texas Department of Public Safety can return to its previous strategy of random searches of vehicles crossing the bridge from Chihuahua. As a result, the effect will be that the bridge between Chihuahua and Texas will return to normal immediately. And we are investing more than $200 million in this public policy, which includes a lot of technology, uh, high-profile technology, in order to take care of our, our borders. Texas Governor Greg Abbott reached a similar deal a day earlier with the governor of Mexico's Nuevo León. And he also made a deal with the Mexican state of Cohila. This means vehicle inspections at the Texas border can return to normal while Mexico takes on more of the security responsibility. But vehicles crossing from Tamaulipas will still see the increased checks for now. But Abbott will meet with the governor of that Mexican state today. Last week, in reaction to President Biden's plan to end Title 42 laws, Abbott ordered Department of Public Safety troopers to inspect every vehicle that crossed in for drugs and immigrants. But the increased checks caused major delays. A jury has convicted an ISIS terrorist for taking part in a hostage-taking scheme that resulted in the death of four Americans. The ISIS member is Al-Shafi Al-Sheikh. He's a British national. He and others took about two dozen Westerners captive. Three of the Americans killed were beheaded. The jury decided that he was one of the Beatles. They were given that name because of their accents and their cruelty. 
They would torture and beat prisoners and force them to fight each other. They even made them sing cruel versions of songs. For example, instead of Hotel California, they made them sing Hotel Osama. They made them sing the part, You Will Never Leave. El Sheikh was found guilty despite the fact that none of the hostages who are still alive could identify him as a captor. The Beagles had distinctive accents. They always made sure to cover their faces with masks and told hostages not to look at them or they would be beaten. Syrian defense forces, led by the Kurds, captured El Sheikh. That was in 2018. He eventually confessed to his role in the scheme. He admitted that he helped collect email addresses and provide what's known as proof of life to the hostages' families as part of ransom negotiations. The Beatles took hostages so they could have leverage to get their own ISIS militants out of prison. The group did release some prisoners after ransoms were paid, but they executed others on video. That was to make propaganda. The prosecutor said on Wednesday that, quote, the evidence demonstrates that they grew up together, radicalized together, fought as high-ranking ISIS fighters together, held hostages together, tortured and terrorized hostages together, and what these horrific crimes left behind is a legacy of brutal killings and shattered families. Also testifying during the trial was a former ISIS member. He identified al-Sheikh in the courtroom. He said al-Sheikh was an ISIS fighter and seemed to be a high-ranking member. He called al-Sheikh an important person. He added that al-Sheikh carried a Glock pistol, which he said was a symbol of ISIS aristocracy because it was rare and expensive. The Florida governor signs a bill into law that bans most abortions after 15 weeks. The law is set to go into effect July 1st. It gives the state one of the most restrictive abortion measures in the nation. I will be signing House Bill 5, uh, which protects uh, the rights uh, of unborn children starting at 15 weeks. This is a, uh, a time where these babies have beating hearts. They can move, they can taste. Uh, They can see, they can feel pain, they can suck their thumbs, uh, and they have uh, brain waves. And so this will represent uh, the most significant protections for life that have been enacted in this state in a generation. Exceptions to the law would include procedures to save a mother's life or if the fetus has a fatal abnormality. Florida Democrat State Representative Robin Bartleman told the Epic Times that the law reduces the rights of women and their families to make their own personal decisions. Republican State Representative Aaron Grawl says the consequences of abortion are devastating and that our society has become increasingly numb to the intrinsic value of human life. The U.S. Supreme Court is set to rule on a similar measure this summer that was approved in Mississippi, also banning nearly all pregnancies after 15 weeks. Banning nearly all abortions after 15 weeks. The Epic Times obtained an exclusive letter from a January 6th prisoner. In it, he tells Americans, don't do nothing. The letter is dated December 30th, 2021, and is now being revealed in its entirety for the first time ever. Jeremy Brown says, are you ready to light bushfires of liberty in the souls of men? Then don't do nothing. And I will fight until my dying breath before I surrender one letter of my liberty. Brown says he's a retired U.S. Army Special Forces combat veteran of 20 years. He was at the Capitol on January 5th and 6th, 2021, and he was part of a volunteer protection detail providing security for organizers and speakers at a legally allowed political rally. Then on September 30th, 2021, he says he was arrested at his home in Tampa, Florida. 
He says 30 to 40 heavily armed federal agents and local law enforcement apprehended him. Brown said they served him a misdemeanor arrest warrant for being in an unauthorized area. He said the agents were part of the FBI's Joint Terrorism Task Force, or JTTF. He said in the nine months prior to his arrest, he was never contacted nor questioned by investigators about the case. Brown also noted the arrest warrant was granted one day prior to his arrest, but added many members of his protective detail were arrested months before. He says he knows why it happened stating it's because the same agents tried to recruit him as a confidential informant on December 9th, 2020. He said their pitch was to gauge his willingness to infiltrate law-abiding citizen groups that had no criminal history and certainly were not designated terrorist groups. Brown turned their offer down, and having what he calls a healthy mistrust of federal law enforcement, Brown recorded the audio of the meeting. He tried to delete it from the Internet, but it kept being reposted, keeping it alive. According to the Gateway Pundit, the FBI and DHS tried to recruit him to spy on the Oath Keepers and Proud Boys organizations. On January 6th, Brown stood next to the stage waiting for President Trump to address the crowd. He says the JTTF agents were aware of his location and why he was there. He went on to explain how he sent a text message to an agent on January 7th. It was a video of unarmed female Air Force veteran Ashley Babbitt being shot by a Capitol Police officer. He said the agent replied, wow. Later, Brown said he was appalled by what he called the blatant lies from the media, politicians, and the DOJ. The FBI did not respond to a request for comment by airtime. The doors at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue are reopening to the public. Starting today, ticket holders will be able to tour the White House. These visits were placed on hiatus in early 2020 in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. According to a White House statement, the situation will be monitored closely based on recommendations from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, as well as other health officials. Anyone who tests positive for the virus or has related symptoms within the last 10 days is advised to stay home. Face masks will also be available for those who request one. The White House also says it expects to host the annual Easter egg roll this year. Families of fallen officers in the Philadelphia area gathered for a special Easter meal. The annual breakfast honors the memories of officers who have fallen in the line of duty. Let's take a look. An Easter breakfast was served at the Sunnybrook Country Club in Plymouth Meeting, Pennsylvania to treat special families from the Philadelphia area. They are loved ones of local officers who were killed or seriously injured in the line of duty. Organizer James Bin said this was their 18th year of hosting the event. This is in honor of the families of these men and women in there who have been killed in the line of duty. And uh, we do it every year, three times a year, Easter, Thanksgiving, and then Christmas. Lieutenant Joseph Zerba was an officer with the Newcastle County Police Department in Delaware. He was stabbed and killed in September 2011 while pursuing a suspect in an auto theft. His brothers said they grew up with a respect for the military and police. Yeah, Joe, he was the youngest of seven. And uh, just the things we, we did together, he and I were very close. We would work over each other's house. We'd go to ball games together, work with my parents, whatever. He's, he's missed every day. And talking about him and talking about stories has really helped the healing for myself and the, uh, and the other family members. We've come in here to support not only the memory of Joe, who was killed uh, over 10 years ago, but also any other 
uh, family members and officers, officers who also made the ultimate sacrifice in the line of duty. Terry O'Connor lost her husband, a Philadelphia SWAT officer, two years ago. Their son is also a policeman. I feel like it's like a nice event to bring together the families that have all gone through these types of things and it's a reminder that we're all in this together and we have the support of each other and the people in this room understand a little bit of exactly what you know I'm going through along with the rest of my family. Known as Holiday Meals for Heroes, the program this year honored 35 fallen local officers. Organizers said their focus was to keep the families connected and moving forward through their grief. The Pennsylvania Senate this week approved legislation preventing the future use of unsecured ballot drop boxes. The measure comes after Senate members saw evidence of fraudulent voting methods used in 2021. The evidence came to Senate members via videos and a letter from a district attorney in the state. Investigators say hundreds of people delivered multiple ballots to drop boxes for the October 2021 general election. Videos show individuals putting in as many as five ballots at one time when accessing a drop box. Pennsylvania law requires a voter to send an absentee ballot by mail or deliver it personally. It's a law that was broken by Governor Tom Wolf's wife when she put both her own and her husband's ballot into a drop box. Having someone else deliver a ballot is considered election fraud, punishable by a $1,000 fine and a year in prison. An exception is made for voters with a disability who may have someone else deliver their ballot if they get prior approval. Governor Wolf's office has said he opposes this bill and another aimed at preventing private money funding public elections. Unvaccinated Delta Airlines employees don't have to pay more for their health insurance anymore. CEO Edward Bastian announced the company has dropped its $200 monthly surcharge for workers who refused to receive a COVID-19 vaccine. The surcharge ended this month. The CEO said he believes COVID-19 is becoming a seasonal virus, and that's why the company made the decision. Back in November, Delta initiated the health insurance surcharge on its unvaccinated staff, citing the, quote, financial risk placed on the company. It also limited the number of sick days unvaccinated workers could take if they contracted COVID-19. Delta has not said if it has since changed that policy. The Missouri Attorney General has decided to recharge three men involved in a 2018 deadly duck boat sinking near the city of Branson. Last week, a circuit court judge dismissed all criminal charges against the boat's captain, the general manager of the ride, and the manager on duty that day. Seventeen people died in the capsizing of the amphibious vehicle during a storm. An investigation by the National Transportation Safety Board found the managers did not relay a severe weather forecast to the vessel's captain, and it found Ride the Ducks Branson tour operator and its parent company, Ripley Entertainment, were to blame for the tragedy. The three men are facing first-degree involuntary manslaughter charges. In a statement, the state attorney general said the refiled, he refiled the charges because his office is, quote, committed to fighting for justice on behalf of the victims. A World War II-era destroyer docked near downtown Buffalo in New York is taking on water and listing perilously. Crews are working to keep the USS The Sullivans from sinking at the Buffalo and Erie County Naval Military Park, where it had been open for tours. The USS The Sullivans is a National Historic Landmark. It was named in honor of the five Sullivan brothers from Waterloo, Iowa. 
The brothers were killed in action when the USS Juno was sunk by the Japanese in the South Pacific during World War II. More than a million dollars was raised last year to repair the ship's breached hull. Crews paused work over the winter and were to resume repairs Monday. The USS The Sullivans is one of four decommissioned naval vessels at the park. Up next, a California biotech company harnesses the power of mycelium, the root-like part of a fungus, to create a natural, plastic-free leather alternative. Find out more soon here on NTD News. This material looks and feels like leather, but it's vegan and totally plastic-free. A U.S. biotech company says it's set to become the go-to alternative for luxury leather goods. Entity's Andrew Thomas has the details. California biotech company Mycoworks has harnessed the power of mycelium. It's using the root-like part of fungus growth to create a natural plastic-free leather alternative. At a recent showcase in New York, Mycoworks showed off the company's reishi material. You see here a bunch of different versions of reishi, all of which use our fine mycelium technology. And fine mycelium is, is our patented way of growing the mycelium into this really dense, strong structure. It's also really versatile. We can tune the properties as it grows to create different types of reishis. The company has a partnership with the luxury brand Hermes. The label is expected to release a version of one of its iconic handbags using reishi later in the year. Mycoworks says it's also in talks with other fashion companies and is building a production facility. Mycoworks co-founder Sophia Wang has been using mycelium for years in her art projects and knows all about the material's potential. We are absolutely preparing this material to scale. The facility that we are launching in the coming year will be capable of millions of square feet of material per year. So this is a material that's ready to serve industry at large. This isn't just a niche material. Companies have long been trying to replicate the look and feel of leather. Microworks hopes its technology will prove to be the go-to material for a growing number of consumers that are looking for harm-free vegan materials. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. A strong winter storm has a North Dakota rancher working frantically to save his livestock. Trevor Steak and his family are putting in 14-hour days searching for calves and trying to keep them alive after roughly two feet of snow fell around his farm. This blizzard struck during what's known as calving season. Steak says hundreds of baby cows are typically born in April and then sold in the fall. Unfortunately, Steak says he's already lost some of his herd after finding some calves stuck in the snow. Federal officials say it may be necessary to reduce water deliveries to Colorado River users to prevent the shutdown of a huge dam on the Arizona-Utah border. Glen Canyon Dam supplies hydropower to some 5 million customers across the West. Officials hoped snowmelt would buoy Lake Powell to ensure continued operation of the dam. But snow is already melting, and hotter-than-normal temperatures and prolonged drought are further shrinking the lake. The Interior Department proposed holding back water in the lake to maintain power production. The agency is asking for feedback from the seven states that rely on the river by April 22nd. 
NASA's final pre-launch test of its Artemis I mega moon rocket hit a snag Thursday. The crucial test is known as the wet dress rehearsal. It simulates every stage of launch without the rocket actually leaving the launch pad. It includes loading propellant, going through a full countdown simulating launch, resetting the countdown clock, and draining the rocket tanks. During an attempt to fuel the rocket stack with liquid oxygen and hydrogen, a leak was discovered. NASA says the rocket is still stable and in a safe configuration. However, the team needs to assess the next steps prior to liftoff of the Artemis moon mission, set for next month. Just ahead, inflation continues to surge across Asia amid the war in Ukraine and supply chain disruptions, and small businesses in Karachi, Bangkok, and Singapore feel the pressure. More soon here on NTD News. U.S. lawmakers expressed strong support for Taiwan during an unannounced visit to the island, though the trip sparked immediate ire from Beijing. Let's take a look. A delegation of six U.S. lawmakers arrived in Taiwan for an unannounced two-day visit on Thursday. In a meeting with President Tsai Ing-wen, Senator Lindsey Graham sent a strong and clear message of support from the Biden administration. To abandon Taiwan would be to abandon democracy and freedom. So here's my promise to you and the Taiwanese people. We're going to start making China pay a greater price for what they're doing all over the world. Senator Robert Menendez noted the geographical importance of Taiwan. With Taiwan producing 90% of the world's high-end semiconductor products, it is a country of global significance, of global consequence, of global impact, and therefore, It should be understood that the security of Taiwan has a global impact for those who would wish it ill. President Tsai said democracy should strengthen ties to counter threats from authoritarian states, citing the current Russian invasion of Ukraine. While Taiwan was heartened by the continued U.S. support, the visit angered Beijing. Commenting on the trip, a Chinese foreign ministry spokesman accused the U.S. of colluding with Taiwan to intentionally restrict China. He said comparing Ukraine to Taiwan was an attempt to confuse the public. What's more, with the visit underway on the island, China conducted multi-arms combat readiness drills nearby. According to a statement from the People's Liberation Army, the official title for China's military, Beijing sent frigates, bombers and fighter jets to the East China Sea and the area surrounding Taiwan. In a separate statement, China's defense ministry called the U.S. visit a deliberate provocation that has led to further escalation of tension in the Taiwan Strait. The FBI believes North Korean hackers stole more than $600 million worth of cryptocurrency from a video gaming company. Federal investigators revealed North Korean cyber criminals robbed a computer network used by the Axie Infinity game. The popular online game allows players to earn Ethereum cryptocurrency. The FBI alleges that on March 29th, a North Korean proxy called Lazarus Group raided the players' wallets of their digital currency. All told, it is believed Lazarus Group has stolen $1.75 billion worth of cryptocurrency in recent years. It's believed North Korea is using all the ill-gotten gains to help fund its nuclear weapons programs. On Thursday, the U.S. Treasury Department sanctioned Lazarus Group's wallet, or cryptocurrency vault, as punishment for the latest hack. South Korea has announced that it's going to be lifting most of its COVID restrictions in the country for the first time in more than two years. 
However, the country's health minister said the mask-wearing mandate will be in place for the time being. Starting Monday, April 18th, the first measures to be relaxed will be curfews for businesses. Bans on eating at multi-use facilities will be eased starting April 25th. The health minister said both indoor and outdoor mask wearing will remain mandatory. He added that it could be lifted for outdoors after two weeks, depending on the rate of new cases and the COVID-19 infection situation overall. There are no plans to reintroduce social distancing measures unless a new COVID variant or the winter season raises the risk of another large-scale outbreak in the country. Inflation is surging beyond those areas, too. Even more small businesses in other parts of Asia, like Karachi, Bangkok, and Singapore, are all contending with rising costs. Let's take a look. Cook Mohammed Ilyas has been cooking biryani at a famous eatery in Karachi for the last 15 years. I've been working at this kitchen for the last 15 years. These days, prices of rice and spices have gone up so much that poor people can't afford to eat it, biryani. The famous rice dish features Indian spices, plus other ingredients like eggs or meat. Prices of daily necessities have stayed on an upward trajectory in Pakistan. The consumer price index in March rose 12.7% from a year earlier. In Bangkok, Aunt So's papaya salad stall is a popular lunch spot for office workers. Owner Sopa Hokam has been running the street-side shop for over a decade. I may slightly increase the price, but it will be a reasonable increase, with which we can still earn something without hurting the customers too much. We will still maintain our standards. We won't reduce the amount of food that is usually served so that both we and our customers can still survive. Thailand's headline consumer price index jumped by a higher than expected 5.7% in March from a year earlier, the fastest pace in 13 years. The Commerce Ministry raised its forecast for headline inflation to a range of 4 to 5% this year from a previous estimate of 0.7 to 2.4%. Singapore imports 90% of the food consumed by its population and has seen record high inflation driven up by rising oil prices and global supply chain snarls. Currently, there is no way of predicting price hikes because consumer inflation is not only because of Singapore, it is due to global inflation. So prices of chicken, ingredients and vegetables have increased while there is a shortage of manpower. So we are unable to find any support. We are just hanging on for now. The Monetary Authority of Singapore is expecting core inflation to come within 2 to 3 percent this year, up from 0.9 percent last year, while headline inflation is projected to average between 2.5 and 3.5 percent. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Still to come, in the UK, restaurants, takeouts and cafes with more than 250 employees are now required to display the calorie count of dishes and drinks on their menus. Stay tuned for more here on NTD News. A dramatic video from Argentina captures the moment a health worker sprung to action to save the life of a 17-day-old baby. It happened last Sunday and was captured by a security camera at the clinic. Footage shows the parents arriving at the clinic 
with the baby showing no vital signs. Crystal Barraza, one of the medical workers on shift, performed CPR on the child. Minutes after the medical worker resuscitated the newborn, the baby was transferred in an ambulance to the maternal and child hospital where he was admitted with vital signs. The medical worker said she was in a position where she told herself that she can't be nervous. She can't say that she can't do it. She told herself she's going to make sure the baby will live. According to health sources, the child suffered a bronchial aspiration while his mother fed him at home, and it led to an emergency respiratory condition. In the UK, restaurants, takeouts, and cafes with more than 250 employees are required to display the calorie count of dishes and drinks on their menus. The new calorie labeling rules have come into play to help tackle obesity rates. Let's take a look. Large food businesses are now required to put calories on the menu in England. It's part of a bid to tackle obesity and promote healthy eating. But the new initiative has mixed reviews. I like the idea. You want to know, you might make a better choice by not ordering that extra side of, you know, garlic bread. Experts say the labeling could be too simplistic. There will always be foods that may come across as higher in calories simply because the amount of healthier fat they've got within the dish or healthier amounts of protein and fiber. So calories don't paint the whole picture. According to Public Health England, Almost two-thirds of adults in England are overweight or living with obesity. It's estimated that these conditions cost the UK's health service nearly $8 billion each year. Since 1993, the percentage of obese adults in England has risen from 15% to 28%. When I'm going out to a restaurant, I'm going to come to enjoy it. So whether it's a high calorie count or a low calorie count, I'm just, I'm here to have a nice time. Obesity is also the second biggest cause of cancer across the UK. By 2050, the costs attributable to being overweight and obese for the National Health Service is projected to reach $12.6 billion. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Britain's men's 4x100-meter relay team has to hand back their silver medals earned at the Tokyo Olympics. The British Olympic Association is going to take their medals and certificates. This comes after the Court of Arbitration for Sport ruled in February that one of the team members, C.J. Yuja, violated doping rules. The British team finished second behind Italy. Canada will now be upgraded to silver and China to bronze. The British Olympic Association says it is with real sadness that we have had to ask for the medals, certificates, and pins back, especially for the three athletes who have been affected through no fault of their own. The association says the individual status of the other three athletes is not diminished in the eyes of the association. Yuja claimed he had not knowingly or intentionally doped. Ukraine's delayed World Cup qualification playoff semifinal against Scotland has been rearranged for June 1st, with the winners scheduled to face Wales four days later for a place at this year's tournament. The match was due to be played in Glasgow on March 24th, but was postponed following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Wales will host the playoff final at the Cardiff City Stadium on June 5th. Russia was scheduled to take part in the playoffs, but has been suspended from international soccer by UEFA and FIFA. The World Cup will take place from November 21st to December 18th. Coming up, World War II fighter planes are getting millions of dollars worth of restoration to keep them flying. The historical significance of the planes brings high praise from UK citizens.
The Netherlands' most famous flower garden is opening its gates after nearly three years. Visitors from around the world are enjoying blooming tulips, hyacinths, and other flowers. We'll have more for you in just a minute. A major restoration of a World War II fighter plane is keeping the veteran aircraft flying over Kent. The Spitfire was an icon of the Battle of Britain. A piece of history is flying again. The Spitfire was a precious asset during World War II and even made an appearance in the film Battle of Britain, released in 1969. Some people describe the Merlin engine as the sound of freedom. There's a lump in the throat and, and a, a woman feeling, you know, that you brought back something that's so important to our history. Um, and the first time these engines fire up and the Merlin roars again and you see it, you know, taxi off to the end of the runway, it's, it's magic. The aircraft had a key role in the battle against the Nazis during World War II. 20,000 of them were built, helping the British Royal Air Force in its fight to control the skies. Now just 70 are still able to fly. 14 of these veteran aircraft are undergoing major restoration. Mechanics piece together original sections with handmade new components at a cost of millions of dollars, but it's worth it for pilots like Anna Walker. Italy, I, I was a great fan um, of the Air Transport Auxiliary and all the women pilots who used to ferry them during the war and try to do them proud. With its distinctive sound of its engines, the Spitfire takes to the skies again over Kent. We have some cool pictures for you out of Paris. Check this out. You can see archaeologists carefully examining an area under Notre Dame Cathedral where they found ancient sculpt statues, sculptures, tombs, and pieces of original church architecture dating back to the 13th century. If you remember, the church caught fire three years ago today. The excavation that's been happening was a precautionary measure before scaffolding gets put up to restore part of the roof. That work can now get started after France's National Archaeological Institute announced it's wrapped up the excavation. The cathedral is on track to reopen to the public in 2024. Today marks 110 years since the sinking of the Titanic. The pride of the White Star line of ships, it was the largest, most luxurious ocean liner of its day. In April 1912, the Titanic left Southampton, England, bound for New York and its maiden voyage. On April 14th, the vessel struck an iceberg and sank early the next morning. More than 1,500 crew members and passengers died. The Titanic was touted as practically unsinkable. The ship was built in Belfast, which spent decades scarred by its link to the disaster, but the city has since come to take pride in the feats of engineering and industry involved in building the ship. It now hopes those connections will bring revenue into the city. 100 years after the disaster, a new museum, Titanic Belfast, opened in 2012 on the site of the shipyard where the doomed vessel was built. The tulips are blooming at the Netherlands' most famous flower garden. It sent a consignment of its blossoms to Rome to decorate the Vatican for Easter. Let's take a look. Workers at the Netherlands' most famous flower garden, the Kuchenhof, are packing up a consignment of flowers that will be transported to Rome to decorate the Vatican this Easter. The Catholic Bishop of Rotterdam is on hand to bless the blooms. Speaking of the war in Ukraine, he says the flowers represent peace. 
so dichtbij in Europa. With sending these flowers to Rome, we are not sending anything related to hate, nothing related to fighting and bloody war, but first of all, peace and joy and being proud of craftsmanship that builds up and takes humanity further. And all of this by the power of God who has given us these talents. For the last two seasons, the park gates remained shuttered due to pandemic restrictions. Only the gardeners and other staff could watch the bulbs spring into flower. But this year, the garden has opened to the public once again. Uh, the first year we were a bit, uh, we were uh, of course surprised and uh, uh, we were overwhelmed, we couldn't open. The second year we were really ready to open with uh, COVID measures, but still we were not allowed to, to open the park. Visitors are enjoying warm spring sunshine as they stroll through manicured lawns. Yes, it's amazing. I, it's been on my bucket list for a long time and with the pandemic we had to delay coming here, so it's nice to finally be here and see the flowers. The Kuchenhof expects about 700,000 visitors this year. That's a significant drop compared to 1.5 million visitors in 2019. Tourism in the Netherlands is not up to its old standard yet, uh, but it's coming and we see people from uh, the United States, we see people from Germany visiting us, uh, we see all kinds of people here in the park. Uh, so we're very hopeful that tourism will pick up again and be as normal. Kuchenhof opened its gates on March 24th and will close the park on May 15th. The moon will not be blue this weekend. Instead, it will be pink. NASA says the pink full moon will illuminate the sky from early Friday to Monday morning. The moon should be at its peak fullness Saturday afternoon. This version of a full moon goes by several traditional names. The pink moon honors its spring arrival, so it will not actually be the color pink. It's also known as the fish moon because, as coastal tribes note, it appears at the same time the shadfish swim upstream to spawn, and it's called a Passover moon because its appearance coincides with the Jewish holiday. Passover begins at sundown this Friday and ends the following week at nightfall on April 23rd. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to put our email on screen. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City. Oh,